Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Before we leave the Lord's table this morning, I want to say a few words about desire. Desire. Have you ever wanted something so badly that it just hurts physically? Hurts? I want to show you a quick video clip of a little girl. She's three years old. She is yearning and desiring something so desperately that you can tell it hurts her physically. The object of her desire, you should know, is a young pop singer these days. His name is Justin Bieber. You don't have to know Justin Bieber, but in your day, just understand Justin Bieber was like Donny Osmond or Tony DeFranco or whoever it was that you loved when you were a little girl or a little boy. Uh, this is that kind of situation. This girl loves Justin Bieber. I want you to think about desire. Take a look. Cody's very sad today. Cody, why are you so sad, honey? Because. Because why? Because I love Justin I can't hear you. Because I love Justin Bieber. You're crying because you love Justin Bieber? Yes, I ran in my room. You ran in your room and cried because you love him? Yeah. Does that make you sad? Yes. Why I does it... I don't get to see Justin Bieber all day. Because you don't get to see him all day? Yeah. Why do you love Justin Bieber? Because I know he loves me back. Because you know he loves you back? Yeah! Honey. Love mommy. We don't have to cry because we love Justin Bieber. Yeah, we do sometimes. <laughs> well, what makes you cry? Justin Bieber always makes me cry He always makes you cry with this song? Yes! Well, why do they make you cry? Because I just brought you the paper. Honey, you do know you're only three years old, right? Yes, Mommy, I do. Well, when you're three, you're not supposed to cry over boys. Yes, I do. Well, what do you want Justin Bieber to do? I want Justin Bieber. No, I want him to do. You want him to be one of your family? Yes. You want me to keep recording you? Yes. Well, all you're doing is crying about Justin Bieber. We're talking about desire. Uh, my wife used to be like that for me, used to be like that for me, but, uh, but she got over it. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. This is the story of the Last Supper. This is a, a passage about desire, and it is the Lord's desire. I want you to see this morning. I want you to see how deeply and painfully his desire goes. In Luke chapter 22, verse 7, uh, listen to the word of the Lord. 
Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And that's interesting. Luke is making a point of setting up the story of Jesus' death. And he makes a point of saying it's the feast of unleavened bread. When? When the lamb is sacrificed, when the lamb is killed, Jesus is the lamb. Verse 8, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it is, has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table, the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves." You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I showed you the little girl out of control. You know she's three years old. Three years old, and yet her desire for a pop star, this kid can't even sing. He's like 13, 14 years old. I mean, there's nothing special about Justin Bieber except to her. She yearns for him. She loves him. Have you ever wanted anything so badly? Have you ever yearned for something to that degree so bad that it hurts? Maybe you have. The point is somewhere between three years old like that girl and the point where you are now and I, we've learned not to, not to express our desires so openly. 
I, I may yearn and I may want things, but for the most part, I keep that sort of under my shirt. I, I keep that close to my own heart. I don't let people know what I desire like that, especially men, especially among men. But that's what makes Jesus' words at the Last Supper so striking, so absolutely striking. When Jesus gets these men, and they're all men, they're, they're men's men, they're, they're fishermen, they're, they're government workers, they're zealots, I mean, they're soldiers. These are tough guys. We're not sitting around a table of florists here. We are sitting around a table full of tough men. And in that context, Jesus, the strongest man of all, sits there and says something so very tender to them. And, and, and we're talking about words of desire. What Jesus says is, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you men. Honestly, it is so difficult to translate the words that Jesus uses because Jesus takes the strongest word that was available in his language. He takes the strongest word for passionate craving. He takes that word and then he doubles it. So what Jesus actually says is something like, with desire, I have desired to, to be with you and, and eat this meal. He piles the word for desire on top of itself, trying, trying to convey the depth of his craving, his yearning to be with them. And it sounds like from Jesus' struggle with words here that there just aren't words to describe what this meal means to him, how important this moment is for him. You can see the importance to Jesus in the way that he has prepared. Now, it's interesting, and honestly, growing up reading this passage, I think I always thought that Jesus was just sort of magical, and he is a miraculous man, the very power of God in his hands and in his mind. He knows everything. So when the disciples say, how are we going to know where we're going to celebrate the supper? Jesus just lays it, it out. But my hunch is, Jesus, it isn't just that he knows all of this. He's prepared this. Jesus has made arrangements, secret arrangements, and they had to be secret because Jesus knows that men are trying to kill him. He knows that they're looking for him. And so it has to be a secret place. And that's why he gives instructions like he does. Now these are country boys. None of the disciples are from Jerusalem. They're from Galilee. They're from the country. So he says, go into town and look for a man carrying water in a jug. Now that's a really good sign. You know why? Because men didn't carry water. That's right, Jerry. Men did not carry water. You know the story of the woman at the well and how she was carrying water? That was typical. Men would not have been carrying water through town in, in a pitcher like that. If a man carried water, he probably would have carried it in a skin on his side. But he would not have carried a jug like a woman. That's like saying, go out and look for the man carrying a purse. And follow him. It's that sort of thing. He's going to stick out. Look for a man carrying a pitcher of water. Don't talk to him. Just follow him. Follow him to the house where he goes. And when you get there, say to the master of the house, the owner of this house, where is the room where, where my master is going to have this supper? It looks like Jesus has all the preparations made behind the scenes in secret even. Jesus has prepared this. He says that the owner of the house will take you up to a room that's already been spread. The word there means the furniture. The furniture is spread. The couches are laid out. The table will be in place. All the disciples will have to do is prepare the food, gather the food. 
This meal's important to Jesus, and you can see that in the way he makes preparation. But you can also see it in the way he describes the meaning of it. Now remember, this is a Passover meal among Jews during the Passover time. This is a high holiday, holiday for the Jews. And all the Jews will be trying to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the supper just like Jesus and the disciples are. It's a Passover meal and it's a tradition. And everybody knows what's on the table. And every single dish has a particular meaning. And everything on the table has a meaning that points back to the Exodus, to the original Passover when God passed over the land of Egypt and the firstborn son in every house was killed except the houses that had the blood above the door. You know the story. That was the original Passover. And everything at this Passover supper, every small detail, every dish on the table, every bite of food that you took was intended to point you back To point you back to the exodus, to the great deliverance of God's people by the power of God and Moses. So honestly, it's already a meal with a lot of meaning. But this night, you can begin to understand what it means to Jesus because he re-explains it. He takes this meal that's had the same interpretation, the same meaning for centuries, and he re-explains it. He takes the cup, which would have a reference to the blood back at the Passover, back at the Exodus. But he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. When you drink this from now on, you remember me. Jesus goes so far as to take the bread that would recall the night that they left in haste and didn't have time to let the bread rise. And so they had the unleavened bread and it was supposed to remind them of how they left in haste. But Jesus takes that bread and says, when you eat this bread from now on, you think about me and my body broken. And Jesus says an amazing thing. They never could have understood it at that moment. But Jesus says, I'm never going to take this supper again. I'm never going to drink wine again. I'm not going to have this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled. Where? In the kingdom of God. In other words, from now on, this meal does not point back to the great deliverance of, of God's people from Egypt. From now on, this meal points forward to the greater deliverance of all of God's people through Christ in the kingdom of God. It's a brand new meal, a brand new meaning. And as Jesus explains that, you begin to get an idea of what it, what it means to him. They say that a thing is worth whatever somebody else is willing to pay for it. You ever heard that? A thing is worth whatever somebody is willing to pay. If you ever go on eBay or Craigslist or even now on Facebook, there's a marketplace and people sell things and buy things online all the time. You ever cruise those things? It's hilarious. You'll run across a a couch that's a 50-year-old couch and there's a picture of it and it looks like what? A 50-year-old couch. But the person will write at the bottom, I gave $5,000 for this couch. And I'm only asking $2,500. Well, you know what I'm thinking? Honey, you can ask $2,500 for it all day if you want, but nobody's going to pay that. Nobody cares, for that matter, what you paid for it. I mean, after what happened with the stomach virus in 1997, nobody wants your couch. Nobody's going to pay you for that couch. A thing is worth... What somebody will pay. 
If you want to get an idea for what the Last Supper was worth to Jesus, you need to consider what he paid for it. This kid named Craig was fresh out of college, had a mountain of student loans. He was flat broke, but in his very first job, country boy in the city, he was working in an office, and he sort of had this thing for the secretary there, but she was way out of his league, just way out of his league. She looked like Heather Locklear in Melrose Place, and he looked like Screech on Saved by the Bell. You know what I'm saying? Way out of his league, but he really had a thing for her. And he used to hang out by her desk and talk to her. And so one day he was talking to her, and she mentioned that she loved sushi. God help her. She mentioned that she loved sushi and that there was this new sushi restaurant around the corner, and she really, really had been wanting to go. And this was his moment, baby. This was it. So he said, hey, why don't you and I go to that sushi restaurant for lunch today? And it was a date. A date. Craig took the girl, man. She was so beautiful. Took her, and they sat down at the place. And, and honestly, the first sign for Craig that this was not going to end well for him was when the menu came. And there was a list of all of the things you could order, all of them in Japanese, but there were no numbers. There were no prices on the menu. Y'all know this by now, don't you? If there are no prices on the menu, get out of there. Get out of there. The woman, the Heather Locklear woman, she ordered some sort of sampler platter with one of everything. She knew what she was doing. Craig just looked down and picked out a Japanese word he thought he could say, and that's what he ordered. He just ordered the shortest word on the menu, and he got something that, you know, it was, it was raw fish in a, in a ball of cold rice. I mean, that's, that's just what it was. At the end of the meal, the bill came. You want to guess what it was? $150. For little, little balls of uncooked fish and, and lumps of rice, $150. At that time in his life, Craig's whole weekly budget for food was $30. He said that there's no woman worth it. That's the lesson he learned that day. There's no woman worth a $150 meal, and especially if the meal is just uncooked fish and cold lumps of rice. You understand? It's not worth it. A thing is only worth what someone is willing to pay. And if you want to understand what this supper was worth for Jesus, you've got to look at what he paid for it. He looked at those men and said, You have no idea how I have desired to have this supper with you. This bread is my body broken for you. This cup is my blood. Do you want to know what Jesus paid for this meal? Paid for the meaning of this meal? His life. Everything he had. And why did he do that? Why would he do that? Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son this meal, his body, his blood, our salvation. It cost Jesus everything. With eager desire, Jesus had come to that table, and the disciples are there for him for, for just a little while, and that's the frustrating, almost funny part of this story, if it weren't so tragic, that in the middle of this supper, Jesus, with his heart breaking open, Jesus, knowing the suffering that awaits him, he says, even right here at this table, one of you is going to betray me. 
Sitting here at a table full of friends, one of you is going to betray me before the night is over. And the disciples seem alarmed for a moment, and they start to talk amongst themselves, and even to question their own, their own hearts. They would say, I wonder if it's me. Could it be me? Who could that be? And they talked for a while about who would possibly do such a thing. Who would betray Jesus? Who would act like his friend and then treat him like an enemy? Who would do that, they say. And then they only have that conversation for as long as they can stand it. Then somebody changes the subject. And what do they start talking about next? They were talking about who might betray Jesus. But then one of the disciples says, you know, this conversation's really bringing me down. All this talking about betraying Jesus, let's change the subject. Why don't we talk about which one of us is the most awesome? That's what they do. Do do you see that? They go from the conversation about betraying Jesus to the conversation about which one of us might be the most awesome. I'm thinking it's me. And Peter says, it can't be you, you dork. It's probably me. It can't be you, James says, because it's bound to be me. And this is their conversation. I'm not making it up. They get into an argument over who is the greatest. Do you see this? Do you see that at this moment, Jesus is so close to his cross? At this moment... Jesus is so near to his men, so close to his disciples, and yet, in their hearts, they are so far from him. So far from him. Which brings me around to you and me. Here at this table today, in this house today, We are so near to the very heart of God, so near to Jesus who promised that wherever two or three of us are gathered together in his name, there he would be in the middle of us. He is here, so near to you, so near to me. And he is here out of his own great desire. You can't possibly fathom how much he loves you. You cannot possibly imagine the depths of his yearning for you. He yearns for you. He longs for your heart to turn back to him. He longs for your mind, your attention to be paid to him. He longs for you to come to him so that he can love you and bless you and forgive your sins and put back everything that is wrong and broken in your life. He only wants to love you. That's all he wants. And he's here. His great heart yearns for you. You have no idea how much he loves you. He has come so very near to us. And yet, our hearts can be so far from him. Jesus told his disciples, go into the city and prepare the place where we'll have the supper. They said, how will we know, Jesus said, Look for a man carrying water. Follow him. Go to the house where they are. You'll find a room. And everything will be spread and ready. When the disciples gathered, Jesus looked at him and tried to find words to say how he longed to be with them. How he had just looked forward to that meeting together. And the longer they stay, 
the further their hearts drift from him. My friend, don't let that be you. Let's not let that be us. He has brought us together today. He has paid the full price for your salvation and mine, and he does it out of love, out of love for you. You are everything to him. I guess the question is, is he everything to you? Pray with me. Jesus, we can't even imagine being loved like that. We can't even imagine that you, the king of heaven, would even know our names, would even know that we exist. And yet, Lord, you have made us with your own hands. You have breathed your breath into our lungs. You know us. You love us. You long for us. We can hardly imagine being loved like that. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for that love. We thank you for the price that you paid that we could draw near to you. Now, Lord Jesus, let us not rush away from this table until our hearts have drawn close to you, near to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, break open your Holy Spirit in this place. Rise up within our hearts. Draw us close to you. Let us love you more than we love the world, more than we love our families, more than we love anything else. Let our desire be only for you, Lord Jesus. Just as deeply your desire is for us. Lord Jesus, you've come today. By your very blood, you've come, and you've made a way for us to come to you. Now, Lord Jesus, before this worship service ends, let us come to you in worship, in thanks, in praise. Let us come to you in love. We pray in your blessed name. Amen.